0: Today we're going to in Galatians chapter four. To my God is our adoptive father. You guys know that adoption is close to our hearts, right? In my family, we've got two adopted kids. Uh, but even beyond that, thinking of God as our adoptive father, being adopted into the family of God as His child, and the implications of that—what that really means—I uh, want us to kind of begin to grasp that concept this morning. So, if you would with me this morning, Galatians chapter four. Verses 1 through 7. Follow along with me. Paul's saying, he's continuing on from his lessons in chapter 3, talking about how Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises and of the covenant. He says, I mean that the heir, verse 1, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, through God. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I thank you that we are your sons, that you are our adopted father. And because of that fact, if we have humbled ourselves and received you as our Lord and Savior, because of that fact, there are certain opportunities that we can take advantage of, there are certain privileges that we have, there's a certain, a certain position we have as your son, Father. And I pray this morning, as we look at this passage, that we would come to an understanding. Begin to understand how awesome, how awesome that is that we can be in your hand and be called your son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you guys know, we have, a, we have two adopted children, one from Ethiopia and one from China. And the process to adopt kids is challenging uh, to say the least there's paperwork you have to do and then there's waiting and then there's fingerprints and there's waiting and there's home studies and there's waiting and there's paying your fees and and there's waiting and there's waiting and there's waiting that goes on right and over the course of the process a lot of people are asking questions to you even after it's all done and these children are living in your home and all the waiting is finished to bring them to your home we get questions all the time, things like, do you have other children of your own? When we go to the store with Hanisa or Kyla, people walk up and go, oh. or like, one time Regina was with Hanisa at the swimming pool, and a lady walked up and goes, oh, I can tell she's your daughter. She's got your eyes. <laughs> and we looked at her. Skin's different. Eyes are different. Hair is definitely different, right? I mean, it's been... She's been in our home since 2012 and it's been a seven-year process trying to figure out how to do the hair. But, but are these, do you have other children of your own? Well, all of our children are our own. Think of the implication of that as an adoptive parent. In fact, that's an, if you ever come across an adoptive parent, that's the number one phrase you do not ask them. Okay? Just understand that we view all of our children as our own children. Think of the implication of that spiritually. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Another question, that, were you going to teach them to learn and care about their heritage? Well, of course we want them to know where they came from. We want them to know a little bit about China, a little bit about Ethiopia. But also understand that this new life they have, this is their heritage as well. Being an editor is their heritage. No jokes, Kathy. Being an editor is an awesome... Jody, you, Judy, you either... Being an editor is awesome. (laughs) Nobody's saying amen. Um, Thank you, Jody. Jody, you may not be excused. You're free to go early. Uh, We think being an editor is awesome. Uh, Our friend Angie's here. She's got kids. Being a Sigalist is awesome for her kids as well. When you are adopted into a family, you don't just leave behind your old culture. You adopt all that, and all of that becomes your heritage. All of that becomes your culture, and it makes it a much richer experience as we're adopted into God's family as well. We adopt that new culture, that new heritage as part of our lives. Can you really love an adopted child as much as you're a biological child? When we are going through this process... Some of our grandparents were like, I don't just know if it's possible if I can love that adopted child as much as I love my biological grandchildren. We're like, pshh. Well, we didn't hit our grandparents, okay? We were nice. But that's really, people worry about that, right? Can you really love your adoptive children as much as your biological children? Yes, you can. We do all of the idiosyncrasies they bring into your family, all the riches they bring into your family, we love them just as much as those that came out of our bodies. There's no distinction in our minds. There's no distinction in God's mind either. When we become adopted to His family, He loves us with this powerful, rich love. And as much as these... Questions may just be annoyances to adoptive families. They really show how little we understand what it means to be adopted into God's family. And that's really what I want us to kind of begin to grasp this morning. I don't expect us to all, and I still don't fully understand all the implications when the Bible says you become adopted as sons into God's family. I'm still learning what that means, but I hope that this morning that we can begin to understand a little bit of what that means to be adopted into God's family and all the implications that arise from that. J.I. Packer, he wrote this in in, in his excellent book. If you haven't read the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer, I highly encourage, I recommend it. I've got it on audiobook and I listen to it about once or twice a year just to go through it. It's great stuff in there. He says, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. Now think about this. We just finished talking about Galatians chapter 2 and Galatians chapter 3 where Paul is introducing this idea of the doctrine of justification where where God declares to us, you are right in my eyes. You are perfect in my eyes. You have been made right. You have been made just. You have been made perfect as a child of God. Now we understand that that's super, super vitally important. But J.I. Packer says that's, not, that's the a primary privilege, a primary importance, but the idea of adoption is of highest importance because justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need, our need to be right with God. But adoption is higher because of the richer relationship that God with God that it involves. See, no longer is God viewed as our judge. He's now becomes viewed as our father, the one who comes and embraces us. Not just this judge who sits up on the dais going, "I declare you right, enter into my kingdom." Picture God declaring you right, walking down, grabbing the chains that have shackled you in your sin, releasing those chains, embracing you and walking with you into the kingdom. That's the picture of God, Father. When God says, I adopt you into my family. So Jay Packer says, literally he says, not guilty. The judge declares you not guilty, but he also gets up, comes down, says, come home and be my son. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. Many of us have this separation idea of us and God, like God's just out there somewhere. God is right there next to us. He is wanting to walk with us day by day. So what does that really mean? If God is our Father, God is our the one embracing us, going with us through our lives, not just saying, it's good, you're right, you're, you're good before me, go and live your life and I'll watch from afar. What does it really mean then? If He is our Heavenly Father adopting us into His kingdom. Number one, the adoption, the idea of adoption gives us a position of a son in the family of God. Verse 4 and 5, we'll go back and read this again. He says, but when the fullness of time, had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons. Literally, adoption in, the, in that world means that to place somebody as the adult son in that family, that's why when you see Abraham adopting Lot as his heir, he's adopting him as his adult son into his family. Lot was going to be the one. I wasn't Lot. It was somebody else. Anyway, I can't remember now. My brain had a brain gap there. Uh, Abraham adopted this other guy into his family to be his heir. He literally adopts him and says, "You are. I receive you, and I view you as my son." Right. Not biological, but in every way he's treated as a son. It means that you have to require waiting for the person to come at the right time. Jesus came at the right time. All of the Old Testament prophecies, all of the Old Testament prophecies had to be fulfilled in Jesus. When we were waiting for our kids, it was a long waiting process. Before we could adopt Hanesah, It was six years of going through the process, going through the process. We started the process before she was ever born. God laid her on our hearts. And we didn't have this cute little face. We definitely didn't have the crinkly hair. We didn't didn't know what she looked like. We didn't know what her awesome personality was going to be like. But God laid on our hearts before she was ever born this idea of adoption. So we began the process, waiting for the right person at the right time. Before God could adopt us into his family, the right person had to come along. 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah, all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The right person had to come along. When he came along, we talked about this last week, he fulfilled the covenant of Abraham and fulfilled the covenant of Moses. He did all that was required for us see, Christmas didn't just happen. It was the culmination of a plan devised in the eternal council of God before the creation of the world. Let me read that again. It's not original with me. Christmas didn't just happen. We, we it happens for us every year, right? We December twenty fifth rolls around. About a month before, we start singing Christmas songs. About a month before that, we put up Christmas our decorations. Three months before that, all of the thing comes out in the stores. It's about time for them to come out in the stores, isn't it? For us, it happens every year. So it's kind of commonplace for us. But the incarnation of Christ at that time and that place and that event didn't just randomly happen. It was the culmination of a plan devised in the eternal counsel of God before the creation of the world. That means before Adam and Eve sinned, he knew what was going to happen. And he'd already planned for the redemption of mankind. Before you were born, God had already planned. Before this country was created, God had already planned. Before Rome took over most of the world, God had already planned. Before Nebuchadnezzar had his vision of the statue, God had already planned. Before Joshua took the nation of Israel into the promised land, God had already had the plan. Before they left Canaan and went down to Egypt for 400 years, God already had the plan. Before Abraham was born and God made the promise to Abraham, God already had the plan. Before Moses had the law, God had already had the plan. Before Adam and Eve were created, before the snake was created, before the angels were created, God already knew what was going to happen. And if that doesn't blow your mind, it makes this little finite pea brain I got here just go crazy when I think about all that God has done for us required the right person at the right time. It required the right spiritual hunger at the right time. See at that time in 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 the first century there when Rome was running things, paganism had spread across the Roman Empire, the Jewish faith had was reached such a low pitiful level that people were hungry for the truth. People were hungry for the truth to know what is the truth and to know who this God really is and not just express it any any way they wanted to. So Everything had to come together. World peace had to be just the right place. You heard the f- phrase Pex Romana? The roads were, in, were peaceful. People could travel on the roads. People would go by land, by sea, by trade cart. So that after Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples were now in charge of getting the message out, it was easy transport wherever they wanted to go in the world. The gospel could freely travel. the right person at the right time. It requires the right qualifications. The contemporary adoption process requires home studies, fingerprinting, background checks and background checks and background checks. It's crazy. There's no secrets that the governments do not know about us. Both our government, the Chinese government, the Ethiopian government, it's all laid out there. We've had fingerprinting done two or three times. They've done child uh, sexual predator background checks. They've done... Personal background checks they've done, every other check you can think of. We had to submit financial statements. We had to, there's no secrets. If I ever run for office, which I'm not, <laughs> it's all out there, right? There's no skeletons in my closet anymore. They're all there. In fact, the right of qualifications had to be in place when we first began the process of adopting. We thought, really thought that God wants us to adopt from Russia. Even before that, we actually thought South Korea. And because we're living in South Korea at the time, the South Korean government says, nope, you have to be living in the States. Really? But there's all these... Yep, you got to be living in the States. Okay, well then we moved up to China. Began the process up there again. And we said, we think God wants us to adopt from Russia. We went to three different regions in Russia and each judge there said, nope, nope, nope. Your expats living in China. If you're living in the States, it'd be no problem. But because you're living your expats living overseas, you may not adopt. And our agency actually said, just put on your paperwork at your addresses in America. We can make it work. I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. We know God's got the right person for us. Right? We didn't meet the qualifications. Jesus the qualifications that God required to be the Messiah to redeem us to himself. One, he was fully divine. He was God. He is God. Colossians 1.15 says this, he is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all all creation. Jesus is God. He's not completely separate like Jehovah's Witnesses believe. He's not just the Son of God and God's up here and Jesus is down here. He is God and yet he's also, the Bible says, he's, he is separate as well. He's fully human. Philippians 2, if you get a chance to go back and read Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it talks about this in great detail i'm just going to pick out two verses here this morning 6 and 7 it says who existing in the form of god did not consider equality with god something to be used for his own advantage instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave taking on the likeness of men and when he came as a man in his external form see jesus was not just fully 100% god jesus was fully 100% man again P brain mind exploding here how he can be the 200 god man i don't fully understand it i accept it the word of god says it and because of that because he is the 200 god man he is able to do for us what we could not do for ourselves it means that he could be born of a woman live a life fully fully perfect which is point number three he is fully righteous galatians 4 says he was born under the law living as a man, living under the law, living a life perfect and righteous, completely fulfilling the law of God. All 600 plus laws in the Old Testament. He lived them all perfectly. And because of that, God says, I accept your sacrifice, which is like God saying to himself, I accept my sacrifice for you. Because for us, God went to the cross. For us, God turned his back on himself, on his own son. For us. He perfectly fulfilled the demands of the law of God. All the qualifications were met. It also requires the right resolve. At any point during our adoption process, we could have just said, that's it, it's too hard, we we're turned down by this judge, turned down by this judge, turned down the this judge. It must just not be God's will that we adopt. It requires resolve. To go through the process. Look at Galatians 4 5. What does it say? It says, To redeem those who were under the law. says, He, let me read the, it says, To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. He determined to redeem us. His purpose was to redeem us. His purpose has always been to redeem mankind. Ephesians 1 3 says this Blessed be the God of the Father. Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and heaven places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. His purpose has always been to redeem us. To draw us to himself, It was God's pleasure to adopt us. It was God's perfect pleasure to adopt us into his family. That idea in your mind, as a child of God, you are pleasing to God the Father. You are pleasing. If you are a child of God, you are pleasing to God the Father. He redeemed you. He adopted you. He brought you into his family because he loves you. How much did He love you? Does He love you? He died for you. On the cross, He did for us what we could not do ourselves. We can't let our struggles with our earthly fathers get in the way of what Heavenly Father wants to do with us. Understand that God is the perfect Father. No earthly father can live up to that. He determined to redeem us, and then He died to rescue us. And because we are his sons and his sons, we have certain privileges that go along with that. Some of the privileges of being his son. Number one, we have a new identity before God. Look at verses 6 and 7. And because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. We have a new identity before God. Praise God for that. I am no longer the man I was. I'm no longer the same creature I was when I first received Christ at age seven. I'm no longer, as soon as I became a believer, God gave me a new identity. He said, I now call you my son. You're no longer my enemy. You are my son. Galatians 3.27 said this, For as many of you are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It says we are baptized into Christ. It's a picture of immersion in the life of Christ. We, we, when, we when somebody gets saved here, when somebody becomes a believer here, we baptize them by immersion. We have a, a tub we pull out of one of the sheds. We fill it up with water and we we. Go fully under the water and immerse them and bring them out of the water. That's a picture of what Christ has done with us, that we are immersed in Christ. Not a sprinkling of Christ in our lives, but we are fully immersed in Him, going all in. Verse 27 said there, it says, We have put on Christ like a garment. We are clothed in Him. Every morning we get up, we put on our clothes, we put on our pants, we put on our shoes and socks, we put on our shirts. Some of us may put on toupees. I'm not there yet. Uh, we, We put on clothes to clothe ourselves in Christ. We're literally letting Christ enfold us in every part of our lives. In Old Testament culture, when passing from adulthood, childhood into adulthood, the son would literally be given a new set of clothes to identify him in a different capacity. When as a child of God we become a child of God, he cl- we clothe ourselves with Christ, signifying that we are no longer the same people we were before. We are now called Son of God. In that, our old self in Adam is removed by our faith in Christ. We become united in Him. Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There is... For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no distinction any longer. We set aside all those things that divide us in this culture. We set aside all those things that divide us as people. We set aside all those socioeconomic things that the world tries to divide us with. And I say simply, we are all one in Christ. It doesn't matter what you look like, what your economic status is. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter anything. We are all one in Christ and we are getting to enjoy each other and we get to enjoy Christ for all of eternity. It matters not what, how the world tries to divide us up. We are all one in Christ. Those barriers are gone. So we get this new identity with God. Number two, we get a new intimacy with God. What does it say there in verse 6? We, we get a new song in our hearts that cries out, Abba, Father. Literally, Daddy. no longer is he this judge sitting up there waiting just to crush us he is Abba, Father, he's our daddy and we embrace him and he embraces us and the whole new identity, the new intimacy with God is present there because of Christ because of what Christ does in our lives we were once held captive by the law trying to justify ourselves to God and someone bigger came along and redeemed us from that. Someone bigger came along and says, you don't need to be justified by the law. I've already done for you what you could not do for yourself. We always try to justify ourselves. We always try to compare ourselves to someone bigger, someone worse. And Jesus said, I did it for you. New intimacy with God means fear, of not living up to the standard, paralyzing us? Because we, before that, we're always trying to justify ourselves. Does your good outweigh your bad? Does your good outweigh your bad? And we're always trying to figure out, can, if I leave this world, have I done enough good to outweigh my bad? But when you're a child of God, that doesn't matter any longer. Because it's not my good I'm trying to justify, I'm not trying to live up to. I get, got Jesus good. When I became a child of God, Jesus gave me himself. He gave me his righteousness. He gave me his perfection. And he took upon himself all of me, my good and my bad. And because he took my bad upon himself, I have this new intimacy with God. And I can say, God, I love you. I desire you. And he desires me as well. I'm not paralyzed by fear of worrying about my relationship with God. He is my dad. Are you a son? Are you a son of God? Are you a child of God? I'm not asking whether you go to church or read your Bible or raise your kids the right way, but do you have intimacy with God the Father? That's what it means to be a son. Do you embrace Him? Allow Him to embrace you. So we get a new identity, we have new intimacy, and lastly, we get a new inheritance from God. This is, this is the most exciting part. We get a new inheritance from God. You're no longer a slave because we're a son. Before we, before we become a child of God, you're a slave to sin. You're a slave to yourself. You're just like our dogs or our chickens. You do things out of instinct. We sin because it's our natural inclination. We sin because... It's just my natural thing I want to do. I treat people poorly because that's just what I do. But now as a child of God, my instinct is to please my Father. As a child of God, my instinct is no longer to be a slave to self. My instinct is no longer to be a slave to sin. My instinct is now to try to please my Heavenly Father because I love Him. Not out of fear, but out of love. And because we are his sons, we receive an inheritance. As adoptive sons, that means we have an eternal family. It means you get to enjoy me for all eternity. Thank you. One person. You're invited to my mansion on day one, Thomas. There you go. You can make the coffee. We get to enjoy each other for eternity. That's exciting. I know I joke about a lot, times about making your life miserable for the first thousand years in heaven. But it's going to be awesome. Where it's, it's not going to be sitting on the on the on the clouds strumming your harp. We're going to be playing these. It's going to be an awesome rock band up there. I tell you what. So if you want to join my band, you better start practicing now. Just kidding. Romans 8, 17 says this, that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are an eternal family together. See, the world hated him and it hates us. The world hated Jesus and all that he stood for. It hates us and what we stand for. The good news is we also get to share in his glory. We also get to enjoy Christ for all eternity. We need to enjoy all this, all these benefits for all of eternity. Adopt, to be adopted sons also means we have an eternal home. A permanent home. Our legal declaration. You realize that here in this country, it's harder for us, for us to divest ourselves of our adopted children than it is our natural children. I could go to court and say, I'm tired of Karis and Tori and Aaliyah and Rachel. I want to cut them off. The court said, okay. But for us to go and try to do that with our adopted kids, the court says, uh, no. They're permanent in your families. They are a permanent part of who you are. You cannot divest yourselves of those adopted children. In the same way, we have this eternal home where we can never be removed from God's hand. Once you are a child of God, you are forever a child of God. Never removed out of His hand. If something can remove us out of God's hand, something is more powerful than God. And there is nothing in this universe that He created, which He created, more powerful than God. He is ultimate. I can't remove myself. You can't remove yourself. He is it. God sent his son into the world that we might receive the position of sons. When we trust Christ for salvation, God takes us into his home as heirs and nobody has taken us away. Nobody. We are forever children of God. The question is this. Are you a child of God? If you are, does it excite you? Is this something you jump up and down and go, I'm so thankful I'm a child of God. You embrace God as, as your Abba Father. Say, Daddy, I need your help. Daddy, I love you. Daddy, come alongside. I want to know you more intimately. Daddy. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you say, I, I don't have that relationship. I, I've never, uh, I, I, I fear God. I have a sense of nonsense of fear because I don't know if I was to die today, I don't know where I would go. I don't know if I was to stand before God if my good outweighs my bad. And so I'm, I'm paralyzed by that fear you were talking about. See, today God wants to remove that from you. God wants to say, I want to welcome you into my family as my son. As my child. To give you that new position. To give you those privileges. To give you all that it means. So this morning, God's saying, let me remove that sin from your life. Let me give you my perfection. Let me give you myself.